This Future Construct podcast episode is supported by Applied Software. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. So visit asti.com, it's A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Future Construct podcast. I'm your host, Amy Peck. And today we have Dave Rhodes, who is the SVP of Digital Twin at Unity Technologies. Welcome, Dave. Amy, thanks for having me. Uh, so a little backstory. I, I just saw Dave speak twice at ITSEC uh, about Digital Twin. So I hunted him down relentlessly and begged him to come on the show today. So I'm really pleased that you're able to join us. So, you know, you've had this very interesting history, starting with interning in the Navy through Autodesk and now at Unity. Can you share a little bit about this circuitous journey and how you got here? Uh, sure. It, it it has been a little success. I can't even pronounce that Circuitous, word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, I, I actually, I started out thinking I was going to be an accountant. I liked the order orderliness of, of numbers. Uh, I ran out of money, uh, to pay for the tuition at the school I was going to transferred to a public, uh, university where I could afford it and got interested in computers. And um, my life's work, every uh, step that I've taken along the way has always been tied to this idea that technology and computers can drive much more effective uh, outcomes. And uh, most of my career has been in high science software. And I've been fortunate enough to be part of three big industry transformations, including uh, the one in which we worked with the uh, AEC industry to move from 2D to 3D. And uh, all the great things that that came through as we built and launched uh, Revit at Autodesk and some of the largest architects, engineering service services companies and construction companies embraced that and owners and operators you know, made BIM the standard. And uh, here here we are now, I guess, uh, eight, I've been away from Autodesk eight years now, uh, and the industry's still trying to figure out uh, how to uh, get the best out of the, the investment they've made in, in BIM models. And and one of the things that we're doing at Unity is, is helping the industry do that. So I, I'm very bullish, and we are here at Future Construct on Unity, and we talk about it quite a bit. Um, it, you know, and and part of your talk that was inspiring is you, is you are talking about this bigger vision and this sort of end to end strategy. And and the, you know the irony is that the AEC industry is a three D industry, and yet relatively new to that world. And and then here we are on the brink of now you know Web three the metaverse, whatever you want to call it, uh, and yet there's still this sort of chasm, there are these companies that are embracing all of this new technology, but then there are ones who are still working on these archaic systems. So how do we bridge that gap? Well, I think there's two things that are going on, two dynamics. First of all, um, uh, networking, uh, compute power and capacity, um, cloud storage, um, all the technology, you know, uh, 5G, uh, wireless networks, the technology is making it uh, uh, more and more practical 
endpoint devices like tablets and, and, and mobile phones, the technology is making it even more practical for the industry to leverage the information that they have in, in a different way than, than they haven't been able to in the past. The other thing that's been going on for years is companies like DPR, construction uh, here in the West, uh, Skanska overseas, um, you know, uh, Daiwa House in Japan, a lot of the industry leaders um, have driven best practices around things like integrated project delivery that are just forcing uh, technology companies like us to innovate and enable those things to happen. And so um, I think we're in this really wonderful time in the building industry um, where you have that convergence of technology and thought leadership and and owners and operators are demanding more as well. You know, they're on the hook to develop uh, sustainable buildings to meet lead standards. Uh, they're on the hook to uh, drive more uh, profit out of the investments that they make, oftentimes funded by uh, PP, excuse me, PPPs and and um, you know uh, uh, financial investments that that come from Wall Street. And so it's all kind of coming together and and driving a need for this immersive real time three D experience that Unity's in the center of. Yeah, and and so you know, you talked a little bit. You mentioned sort of a standard. At, at what point do you know? Will, do you think we will get to, you know, leveraging BIM and design data to really effectively build the digital twin kind of during the process, right? And kind of you know, truing up the models as the building is being built. We have the technology to do that, and it seems the economics of it at this point really support it. The way you can leverage that data through even the management of the building. I mean, do you see trends towards that? Uh, and, and is it the onus on the operators or on the contractors? Where does that, that demand come from? I, I, I think there's a, a couple of things going on. Um, in the technology space, we're making it much easier, at, at Unity specifically, but the technology companies in general are making it much easier to aggregate all the different disparate data sets into one environment that makes putting together a digital twin more practical and economical um, and also builds you something that you can actually use both uh, at your desk and out into the field. What does that mean specifically? Being able to bring in your uh, Revit BIM model uh, your 3D photogrammetry or LIDAR scans, laser scans, um, your base map from, from Esri or Maxar or whatever, um, bring that all into one environment in a way where uh, you're not compromising on uh, rendering quality, you're not compromising on the level of detail you need in the metadata, to uh, to to have a digital twin that's actually functional. And you can bring that digital twin along during, during the early concept phases uh, where an architect is just doing interior renders and lighting studies and things like that. You can, as the project evolves, you can stay two, three, four steps ahead in building out your twin um, so that it's prepared for 4D and 5D. Um, and ultimately, if, if you if you do it right, uh, using technology like we're bringing to market, you can start to connect it up to the sensors and the physical asset, um, which is where the real benefit and 
uh, you know, the, the industry wants to get to eventually is where that digital twin uh, is used to better understand the complexity of what is a skyscraper or a big piece of infrastructure um, and use machine learning uh, to refine uh, how effectively that operates, to do things that we as humans just, you know, can't do as well. Especially, especially in the morning. <laughs> especially before. without coffee. Free coffee. coffee, exactly. I'm right, right here with you. Um, so, yeah, and you, you know, you talked a, a little bit too, uh, you know, about the, you know, uh, sustainability and the, you know, the kind of, you know, ecology of these buildings, you know, how do we also improve the, I, I guess, just sort of the inner workings of, of buildings so, so you can optimize systems? And you talked a little bit about machine learning. It seems like that can play a huge role in being able to sort of optimize even existing buildings, but certainly as we're building uh, new constructions to be able to optimize as well. Yeah, you know, look, you probably know the facts and figures more than more than I do, Uh the amount of waste and rework in this industry is insane. Uh, and, you know, without even having to get into sophisticated machine learning algorithms and bring those into your workflow, um, you can use uh, products like our Visual Live product. That's a simple QAQC product that allows um, a, a construction foreman uh, or a safety inspector or an owner to go out on site and with either augmented reality or just a simple uh, tablet or phone to go inspect the, you know, the quality and, and the correctness of the work relative to, um, to what's in the model uh, in real time, physically. And uh, what that enables is the teams to uh, find errors before they're committed to the physical uh, physical construction process. Uh, if there is a uh, change in the design that needs to happen, uh, that can be anticipated. Um, you can use that product and, and the platform to do sequencing so that materials don't arrive too early uh, and uh, disintegrate on site or, or get stolen. <laughs> um, and so there's just a lot of simple stuff you can do by putting the, uh, the model in situ uh, during the physical product in the uh, pr project in the hands of the people that uh, they're actually doing the work. And, th and that, that'll drive Im immense cost savings. And I'd like to drill down into that a little bit more, but we're going to take a momentary break just to hear from our sponsors and we will be right back. This episode of the Future Construct podcast is supported by the amazing team at Applied Software. They have solutions for any modern project. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and being the champions of innovation with their real-world expert consultants. They have a comprehensive suite of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing, and they have a singular focus to help you achieve higher performance. They have software, training, support, consulting, and custom development. Applied Software has you absolutely covered for all of your workflow needs. And BIM Designs is proud to be a client and partner of Applied Software. So visit ASTI.com, that is A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that Feature Construct and BIM Designs sent you. And we are back with Dave Rhodes from Unity Technologies. 
Talking about sustainability and sort of end-to-end, uh, you know, life cycle of, of you know, not only, uh, you know, the architecture side, the design, the build, uh, maintenance at the other end. Let's talk a little bit about um, kind of looking at the, re- you know, retrofitting of buildings and actually using photogrammetry or LIDAR scans to create an as-built and how, you know, some of the toolkits of Unity, and we'd like to stay away from ads, but I think that, you know, between Reflect and Simulation Pro, I I think I do want to talk about those today because I think they're so important. It's like we're at this dream state in with this industry, with what we are able to do. And now it's a matter of, of just getting out there and getting it into the hands of people so that they don't have a fear of this new technology. Cause I feel that that's really the thing that's holding us back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, we, we talked before the break about um, the design build process and now on the back end in terms of operate and manage and, and retrofit um, again, one of the same, one of the key principles uh, up front that we talked about again applies here Step one, the, the BIM managers of this world need to be even more empowered to bring all the data together in a way where uh, it's clean and it's usable and it's, a- it's in an aggregated form. That's step one. Um, that's really where the digital twin becomes really powerful when you've got a, a holistic model with an entire data set and related metadata uh, to not only get you through the process, but then it becomes the system of record, if you will, uh, uh, around how you run that asset in the future, which as you know, uh, operating and managing an asset is 90% of the cost of, of that asset over a hundred or 150 plus year life cycle. Um, so, you know, what we're trying to do is first and foremost, again, make it easy to get the data in and then provide capabilities that allow uh, that data to become more powerful. Put it in the hands of uh, people that are on the job site, uh, overlaying the right design uh, and metadata with the physical structures, uh, being able to uh, have multi-user collaboration so that the MEP engineer, uh, the project manager, the owner, uh, all the stakeholders can, you know, literally hundreds of stakeholders can be looking at the same thing in real time uh, and having a conversation about um, the best way to move forward on a, a large retrofit project or something like that. Uh, again, and, and then the holy grail here is being able to connect that digital twin uh, to your physical system in a way where um it's more intuitive for us as human beings to understand uh, we can make better judgment calls on pre- preventative maintenance. Uh, we can make better judgment calls on when uh, truck rolls are actually not necessary or, or wasteful. Uh, so there's just a lot of benefit there in, in better understanding these complex systems. Uh, and then, you know, once we throw uh, machine learning and simulation into it, uh, we begin to become more predictive uh, through algorithms on um, how to more effectively manage that building uh, or bridge or, or, or piece of infrastructure. 
So what excites you? I mean, I saw both of your talks and, and you're clearly very passionate about this industry. You're very passionate about how, you know, how leveraging digital twins for, for the future of smart buildings, smart cities, uh, it, it eventually really the AR cloud, which is sort of this, this, the Holy grail, but what excites you kind of on a day-to-day basis? Like when you're coming into work, like, what are you excited to do the most? Wow. That's, that's tough. You know, honestly, uh, at my stage at the, at this stage in my career, I'm in the twilight of my career. I'm pretty old. And, uh, probably what excites me the most is, uh, working, working with the next two generations of, uh, knowledge workers and people behind me that represent <laughs> the future of our planet. And, you know, maybe beyond our planet. Um, I spend a lot of my time these days, uh, leading and developing and coaching and, and enabling others to get uh, the best out of what they're capable of. So that's probably the biggest thing, maybe not what you were looking for. Uh, Technology-wise, um, honestly, I continue to be amazed at how rapidly technology evolves. Um, I happen to be reading a book right now. I'd recommend it to all of you. It's pretty uh, it's actually pretty dated, but it's called Vaporize by an author and thought leader, uh, Robert Tursick. And he talks about uh, companies uh, that have vaporized entire industries started with thinking about the impossible, like defining what they thought was absolutely impossible and going for it. And uh, I think about... Um, the transformations that I've seen in the semiconductor industry and in construction and manufacturing and, and now in uh, video games and entertainment and, you know, bringing real time to all these other industries like healthcare. Um, what excites me the most is to be able to literally verbally uh, describe something that I'm after and have it literally uh, pop out out of a, a 3D printer. Uh, and I know we're close to that. Uh, we are, whether it's, uh, you know, make me a new ear, make me a new, uh, spark plug for my car. Probably don't even have spark plugs anymore. Uh, I think we're, we're close to a time where we're going to go even further beyond, uh, visual and spatial computing, uh, to really multi-sensor, multi-touch, uh, you know, um, natural language processing, uh, multi-touch, multi-input um, sensors, you know, there, there's already uh, sensors uh, with our eyes and, and our interaction with, um, with computing and technology will become that much more democratized. And hopefully uh, it means a better world for all of us. I, I, I hope so. I, I think we're probably about the same age, but we've got Neuralink coming. So we don't have to go anywhere. And, <laughs> and there's a lot of anti-aging technology. So I always say that, that I'm not going anywhere. So Dave, if you want to keep going, we can all keep going (laughs) or we can just rest and and go, you know, you know, (laughs) live on an Island somewhere. (laughs) But I I agree with you. I think, you know, there's this, this um, confluence of technology that's coming that really, uh, you know, will enable anything. And, and, I I think that it's such a vast change from how we do things today. And and it's not just generational. I mean, in terms of uh, technology adoption, there are young young and old alike who are equally reticent and equally aggressive in, you know, bringing new technologies into their lives. Uh, But when we think about the workflows of today, 
the difference between how we do things today and how we're going to be doing things in the future, that is also changing. So from a workflow perspective and from a practical perspective, you know, how, how are you seeing companies change that mindset with their workforce? Because, you know, all the technology in the world is meaningless if the workforce doesn't embrace it. Well, you know, uh, Back to your question earlier about um, what I get excited about and, and this idea of, of working with um, young, younger thinkers um, who have grown up in a generation, a different generation, um, who learned about um, many things through uh, the, um, the use of a game joystick versus, you know, in a classroom. Um, and and you see how they think and apply uh, apply thinking to new opportunities. Um, I think it starts there, and I won't mention the name, but but the largest architecture uh, firm in the world uh, employs Unity game developers because of their um, their not only knowledge of real time three D, but the way that they think differently about interaction between. Uh, creators and consumers of in content. It's it's amazing to me. Um, I think this is going to seem like a stretch, but if you look at um, generative design in in the segment that we work in, you know, and and the and you combine that with the idea of prefabrication of many of the materials and and things that are needed to put together uh, a large asset these days, you tie that to the different social media properties and the creativity that happens in that space. Think of things like SoundCloud as an alternative to Spotify, where you have great indie artists that have an opportunity uh, to show their work and, and create a following. Um, I could see the same thing happening uh, in the AEC industry where uh, you and I could um, create our wildest dream and get support for it from a community of people uh, and maybe see it as, as a, uh, a local building at the, at the community park, for example. So um, lots of possibilities in the future. I think it starts with these next generations of of people and and uh, innovative thinkers who are uh, already in the workplace today. Yeah, and you you talked a little bit about game developers. I think the other thing that people don't realize about game developers is they also understand data and interaction data and yeah. and and really that user experience, which in the user in this case is the workforce. So it is sort of critical to make technology. Um, not only you know have utility, but actually make it fun. And it's it's a word that we steer away from because we think about you know gamifying, and it sort of has this negative connotation. But really, it's the thing that keeps people engaged and makes it enjoyable for them to do their jobs. And are you finding that you know when when you finally see some you know companies kind of switching systems and kind of bringing in this new technology? Um, that that the that the workforce is more uh, kind of amenable to bringing it, you know, bringing it on board, bringing it into their workflow. Yeah, absolutely. Again, the the um, the multi-user collaboration element is incredibly powerful, uh, and it's not just in the, in the AEC industry. It's in manufacturing. It's in healthcare. It's all over the place. But the idea that um, a construction worker doesn't have to go back to the trailer and get on the phone 
with the engineer back in, you know, a building that's 200 miles away and have a conversation and then plans out. I mean, saving all that means that um, that worker gets to go home on time, that that worker doesn't have to undo something that they did yesterday, uh, that that worker is uh, likely uh, more safe, uh, is uh, able to work on more projects uh, over a period of time. Um, there's just a lot that comes from that multi-user uh, collaboration element. And, and it is fun. Um, it's, it's fun to get multiple people together to work on a problem or an opportunity. Uh, and the best ideas win uh, when, when we work together. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because you know we look at the uh, multiplayer collaboration environments that are available today, especially using um, VR and and MR, uh, and they seem cartoony. And, and I think it's going to be a while before companies kind of embrace that opportunity. But you know, from firsthand experience, you know, I have had weekly meetings in virtual environments and the amount of work that we can actually get done when we are, I mean, distributed beyond like globally distributed teams where we are just never together in the same room. Um, there's something really to be said for that. And, and you know, again, is, is that a trend you think is just going to take a long time to embrace for companies? I, I don't, I don't think it will take a long time. I, I, I think it's happening today. I think that, um, you know, make a comment about the the cartoony stuff. Uh, I don't think in in the business world, in the B two B space, let's call it that. I don't think that a a cartoony um, multi user metaverse like environment is going to be effective. Um, for us to be effective in our workplaces, we need as much photo photorealistic uh, high fidelity rendering as possible. Uh, when a, um, an engineer is out on site uh, and trying to communicate, here's what's going on with this project, the precision, uh, the geolocation, um, the, the physical uh, rendering of, of what's going on, on on site needs to be accurate. It needs to be good. It needs to be high fidelity. And so um, the good news is that companies like Unity are, uh, are able to render at 60, 90 frames a second across multiple devices, really high fidelity, um, real-time experiences. And, you know, once you get there and you're able to do it on a tablet uh, and then in the future on a much lower cost headset, uh, uh, I think that you, you'll really see things pick up even more, but it's already happening today. Um, a, a lot of people, particularly over the course of the pandemic, in fact, we did a, we had uh, Forrester do a study for us. Uh, 80% of the companies that they talked to um, had embraced or accelerated into production uh, immersive uh, real-time 3D experiences in the workplace because we just couldn't work together. Like we were physically, you and I were isolated from each other. Uh, and, it, you know, as much as this podcast is great, 2D Zoom doesn't get the job done all the time either. So yeah, agreed. Agreed. And, and I was referring more to, to just the, the sort of our physicality as avatars in those environments looking cartoony. And I think, um, 
so you see a lot of the, the B2B, you know, collaborative environments where you have these kind of monochromatic, where it's just sort of a, a very kind of simple avatar that is not even designed to really look like us. It just sort of has your name floating over your head. So it's not distracting, but you are in the space and you're able to bring in 2D and 3D assets and be able to work with them effectively. It's, you know, it's a really good point. I, I'm glad you came back on this. Um, What's really most important in, uh, for at least for us as a technology provider, empowering these experiences and, and helping companies go through this digital transformation is that we're enabling them to present the right data at the right time in the right level of detail that they need. To your point, um, they don't need a wildly fantastic video game looking real-time experience if in fact all they need to do is go in and inspect the piping that was done yesterday. They need color coding, they need simple to use, two buttons, three buttons, four buttons uh, that can you know map out and overlay the, the, the physical work versus what was intended to get done that day, pure and simple. Uh, and so to your point, I think we have a responsibility in the technology industry to provide utility and functionality that's just the right amount, um, not overkill, but but also uh, enough to get the job done. We're, we're getting there. So you did mention the metaverse, and I think we can't finish before we are in super hype cycle now on the metaverse. And actually, I'd love to get your definition of the metaverse, and then I'll share mine because... You ask 10 people for their definition of the metaverse and you get about 27 answers because everyone has like one and a half <laughs> answer to that question. So what is your definition of the metaverse? Well, I I, I think if you, I, I believe that I said in one of my talks at ITSIC that uh, I saw the metaver metaverse five years ago. Uh, I, I literally say that and I literally believe that. I uh, We didn't call it that then. Um, but once I learned more about what real-time 3D uh, immersive technology is and what Unity was doing, um, the fact that it's it, that is highly interactive, it's real-time, it's high fidelity, uh, it's on devices and endpoints all over you, all over the place, it's immersive, it becomes uh, ubiquitous. Um, that's what I saw coming five years ago. Uh, when I joined the company. And I haven't been disappointed in that probably every month, if not every week, I see little pieces of what we're now calling the metaverse being put together. Um, my definition is still the same. It's a, uh, a high fidelity, high ac highly accurate, highly interactive, highly immersive, multi-dimensional um, virtual communication mechanism uh, it's not one single destination. It's going to be, uh, it already is, uh, multiple destinations, um, all of which in some way, shape, or form eventually become compatible and interconnected. Uh, much like it's pretty easy for you and I to get on an airplane or on a uh, light rail system and go to the next city uh, next to us or a country uh, across the ocean, et cetera. Um, I would think of the metaverse as the same, where you have multiple destinations, but all of them are highly interactive, highly immersive, and provide very specific utility for what we're looking for at that particular time. 
That is very, a very articulate uh, uh, way of putting it. I just think of it as this, you know, it basically the, the internet living and breathing all around us. So instead of interacting with the internet from the outside in, we're, we're interacting with it from the inside out where it is all around us all the time. And it can be simple forms of data and overlays all the way through to these fully immersive environments and everything in between. Because to your point, there are multiple destinations, but I also think it's just about accessing any data, anytime, anywhere in context. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I hope so. We'll I, see. I, we'll see. <laughs> I, I, would, I would also say, and, you know, having like you lived through what we have over the last, gosh, we're, we're at 18, 20 months now. I, I've lost count now. <laughs> Uh, you know, going through uh, a pandemic that, you know, is likely to become uh, endemic, um, it won't replace um, physical, physical connection. It will not uh, replace a walk in the park with your loved ones. It will not replace a physical trip to the other, other side of the world to really live and breathe and understand a culture that, um, that you, you, you can't understand uh, even at best through a highly uh, interactive 3D environment, virtually you can't experience it until you're there physically. It won't replace. We we are not going to a dystopian uh, world where we all sit uh, in our rooms uh, and interact on devices like this, <laughs> tethered to something, right. so we don't we don't wander off the reservation. Right. No, I agree with you. I, I like to think of uh, uh, it as a protopian future because we're not going to be Pollyanna-ish and think that everything is perfect because you know the war between good and evil wages on. But I I do think that it's you know technology is here to you know augment humanity, and if we don't get engaged with it now we do run the risk of losing control of it. And, and it's, it's why I, I, I do, I would like you to comment on this before we get to the last question, but it's why I ask the last question because that's something we forget to do is think about what do we want from technology? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And um, I learned this at, at Autodesk, um, our, one of our CEOs uh, along the way um, challenged us to be, um, a good company and a great company. And, you know, his definition of a, of a good company was a company that understood their place in the world and their ability to make a positive or a negative impact. And, you know, fast forward years later at Unity, um, very similar culture in that uh, we have some core principles around making the world a better place. And we make, we literally make, uh, we walk away from business opportunities that don't li- line up with our principles, and and uh, we're not perfect. No, no company probably is. But what I would say is that uh, companies that have a uh, technology like we do, they have a responsibility, and and at least we at Unity have a moral compass that we use to really guide um, how we put this technology into play. And it's particularly important having come from the gaming industry where we uh, we collect a lot of uh, a lot of player information, if you will. And now in the uh, in the industrial space, um, people that are using products like Reflect, uh, we understand the behavior of of the people that are using those products. So it's really important for us to make sure that we are 
really careful about um, about how the products are used and the data we collect and how that data is used and that kind of thing. So, and and you have the best lunches ever at the San Francisco office. <laughs> Been there. I, I I make my meetings every single time around like twelve twelve thirty. Just <laughs> we used to. I hope those days return. I do. I do too. I do too. I miss those days. All right. So this does bring us to my last question, which I ask everyone. So if you could project yourself 20, 25 years in the future, and you could bring with you any product or services that would just make you, Dave, personally really happy or just make your life better on a day-to-day basis, what would it be and what would it do? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I'm an eater. I like food. And I, I'm going to tie a couple things together. I was saying something earlier about this idea of being able to describe something and have it pop right out uh, of a 3D printer. I would love a big fancy uh, oven uh, in my kitchen where I could just tell the oven what I wanted. I want a hamburger. I want spaghetti and meatballs. I'd like a Caesar salad. What I'd like a hot fudge sundae. And it would come out. That's what I. That's what I would like <laughs> in twenty-five years. I think. I think I. I would. I would be in a larger frame if I had that available to me at all times. Yeah. I love that idea. I do Dual love screens. That idea. Dual screens. I, I, I try. I tried. I used to try that, thinking that my kids were going to do that when I would say something, and then it would happen. But that never worked. So maybe we have better luck with ovens and <laughs> robots in the future. So we'll give that a shot. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Amy, thanks for having me and uh, best wishes and good health to everybody out there. 